0: My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Road. We are really glad that you're with us this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. Uh, we are honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us. Um, if, I, if I haven't got a chance to meet you and you are a guest, or maybe this is your second or third time here, I'd love to meet you. So if you have time afterwards, just stop by, say hello. I would love to um, just put a name um, with the face and meet you. Today, we are jumping back in to First Corinthians. This is a series we've been going through uh, for for many, many months now and uh, got broken up a little bit by the pandemic and when we had to shift uh, everything to online. But we have six weeks left or three chapters left in the book, six weeks left in the book, and then we'll be finished. We'll be starting something new um, in uh, late May, early June, and it will probably continue um, take us through the rest of the summer. So today we find ourselves in chapter 14 um, if you want to go there in your own Bibles, uh, feel free to do that. The, the verses will be on the screens. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have the Bibles back out under the chairs. I think they're on, under every other seat. If you have a Bible at home, please take one of those with you. Uh, that's our gift to you. We feel like everyone should have a Bible at home. And if you need to find that in that particular Bible, in the, in the, the, the chair Bible, it's page 559. Page 559 in that Bible if you need to find um, where we're at. Let me read this and then we will jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with you yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up of the church." Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than the 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even if they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers, while the prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers, but for believers." If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray this morning as we jump into this passage, um, I pray you give us wisdom, you give us insight, um, that we would, we would remember that these are your words. This is your revelation of yourself. This is your, the, the disclosure of yourself to humanity. These are your very words. They're, they're inspired by you. So I pray that as we read them, we would um, try with our minds to understand them, knowing that these are your words. And it's worth attempting to understand what you're trying to communicate to us about yourself. So help us this morning as we do that, that you would change our mind, you would change our hearts, and you he would change the way we live when we leave this place. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, we're come to this passage, right? We're going to get in the weeds today a little bit. But I first want to um, set us up by um, re- remembering, refreshing ourselves of where we're at in this book, okay? If you remember, this church, the church in Corinth, is an absolute mess. They're a train wreck of a church the whole letter that Paul has written to them has, has, has come because of their, their mess. Like This whole letter was basically written as a response to the things going on in this church that Paul had planted about five years earlier. In relation to the, to the spiritual gifts that we see Paul starting to talk about in chapter 12, they, they, uh, they're a mess as well. right? They're, they're this church that likes the wow factor. Um, a lot of that's because of the culture they're in. Uh, they like the, the gifts of the Spirit that will draw attention, that will draw cl- crowds, that will cause people to say, wow, look, like, look at this church or look at that person. And so Paul, in, in chapter 12, he tells them that you can't take some gifts and elevate them above others. We can't do that. They're, they're all the same in the sense that they're all valuable, they're all needed to build up the body. And Paul also says that we all will all have at least one spiritual gift but none of us will have all the gifts. So not you, we shouldn't tell anyone that you should have this gift or there's something wrong with you if you don't have this gift. Okay, Some of us don't have certain gifts. And that's okay. That's the way God has designed the body to function. This is what Paul explains in chapter 12. Um, and so the, the purpose of the gifts, Paul tells us, is to build up the church. To build up the church. And it, and it happens through the people of the church getting those gifts. Okay, so the gifts build up the church through the people who are in the church. Okay? Two weeks ago, um, Jay did a great job of walking through 1 Corinthians 13. Um, uh, this is the passage about love. And at first reading, if you're just reading through 1 Corinthians, it can seem like this passage kind of comes out of the blue, or Paul's taking some kind of tangent here, but he's not. He's writing about spiritual gifts in the context of worship, and he feels like stopping and just saying, Uh, first uh, Corinthians, I want to remind you of the the point of all this. It's love. The foundation of everything we do is love. The foundation of the spiritual gifts is love. So that was what chapter 13 is about. It's about the context of love um, in, in using the spiritual gifts. He reminds them and describes to them what this love is like in that chapter. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that at some point, you need to go back and listen to that sermon because that chapter ties chapter 12 and today's chapter together. It's a really important um, chapter. And we know love, speaking of love, Jesus gives us a lot of clarity on love. He says, all the commandments, everything I've taught you can be summed up in two things. Loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. He says, everything I taught you, all the commandments can be summed up in these two So God gives us direction of how we should love people, the the aim of our love, the direction of our love. So as we get into today's passage, two things. Remember, it's the context of the worship gathering, and the foundation is love. The, The lenses, the glasses we should have as we're looking at these gifts is that of love. So chapter 12, Paul talks about gifts in general, talks about a lot of different gifts. But then in chapter 14, he zeroes in on two. The gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. But Paul still is not, his primary purpose is not to teach on these two gifts. He has to teach on them because his main point is that in a worship gathering, he says the gifts that, the, the language gifts, the gifts that are spoken need to be understood. They need to be intelligible. They need to be clear because how are we going to be built up if we each don't understand one another? So if you're going to say something in a worship gathering, it needs to be understood so that the church can be built up, which is what the purpose of the gifts are. Now, um, I had this friend um, who um, didn't used to be a, a friend. Um, in, in, when, I, when we were 11 years old, um, we uh, played baseball against each other. That was our main um, kind of context. We played baseball against each other. We were, uh, he was in a neighboring city. Our teams were both really good. We were rivals. We played the same position. I did not like this guy. I didn't care for him. And um, I never met him before. Didn't really ever talk to him. But I just didn't like him. There was probably some envy, some jealousy there because he was really good. But we grew up playing against each other. Our teams did not like one another. So for seven or eight years, we played against each other. And I just grew to like not like the guy. But I never met him, right? I was unfamiliar with him, but I didn't like him. I didn't really want anything to do with him. Our freshman year, we ended up going to the same college to play baseball uh, together on the same team. We ended up being uh, roommates next to one another in the dorm. We became quickly uh, uh, almost best friends. He's one of my closest friends. We were in each other's wedding together. We're still good friends to this day. And and, uh, once I got to know him, we we had a lot in common, follower of Jesus, really good dude, a uh, little shy, probably why I felt like he was standoffish when we played against each other, was really good. So I just thought because he was quiet and he was a little standoffish, I thought he was arrogant, right? But he wasn't. He was a good dude. And after I got to know him, understand him, um, everything was all right. It was actually a benefit to my life to get to knowing him. And I think some of this, with especially, pro- it's similar to prophecy in tongues. We hear these words, we hear these, these gifts um, spoken about in the scriptures... And for some of us, you get, you get maybe some PTSD, or you're just like, I, I, I can't handle this. Can we just move on? This is weird. This is crazy. Let's not deal with this. Now, some of you have been looking forward to this a long time. Get into this passage, get into the weeds. Let's go. Let's do this. Okay. So I realize we're getting into a passage that um, has a lot of different maybe backgrounds in this. There's a lot of confusion with it. And so hopefully, by looking at the text, some of that will be um, alleviated today. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I'll just tell you we are going to get in the weeds today. This is going to be a little bit on the theological nerdy side in some places because I need to explain some of these words so we can know what the Bible is actually teaching. But I want to share with you that, that the miraculous stuff we're going to talk about today is, is, it shouldn't be foreign to our faith. We have a spiritual faith. God created everything we see. That's, that's a miracle, right? That, that's miraculous that God could create everything. The parting of the Red Sea in the Old Testament, miraculous, God doing it. The way Jesus was was born, conceived, miraculous. His resurrection, a miracle, miraculous. The way he takes spiritual dead people and brings them to life spiritually, giving them new spiritual life, miraculous. So when we think of these miraculous things, don't don't get weirded out, don't don't shut down. Just think and open your mind to considering this is a spiritual faith. And there's some things like this that we come across that are for our benefit, but are um, of the miraculous envir- uh, variety. So let's dig in. First Corinthians fourteen, chapter uh, chapter fourteen, verse one. This is the most important kind of verse um, of the whole um, really chapter here. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So he talks about love and earnestly desiring the gifts. He's connecting chapters twelve. And 13 with chapter 14. So you can't separate love and spiritual gifts. And he says to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We can't forget that. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say desire some and not others. He doesn't nuance it at all. He just says earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And and I mentioned he's going to just address two gifts today. Prophecy and tongues. Now with these two gifts along with the third um, the gift of healing are often referred to in the theological world, the sign gifts or the, the gifts of the miraculous, right? Um, and when it comes to talking about these, these three sign gifts or miraculous gifts, there, there's a spectrum that it's helpful to understand them on. And again, this is, a, this is a secondary issue, right? This isn't a primary issue where this is separating who's a believer or not a believer. This, this isn't, there are fringes here that I, I would be concerned with, but for the most part, these are, this is a secondary issue, and it's not a question of orthodoxy on where you fall on this spectrum, okay? But on one end of the spectrum, you have what theologians call continuationism or charismatic. And this is those who believe that all the spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament continue to exist and continue to be given by the Spirit according to His will. Okay, this is the side of the spectrum Providence Road would be on. Okay, that's where we find ourselves, our church. On the other side of the spectrum, you have what theologians call cessationism. And within that word, you hear that word to cease, right? And the folks who would fall on this side of the spectrum believe that the sign gifts have ceased um, at the beginning or the close of the first century. So when the first century ended, it was about the time that the last apostle died and that the canon of scripture, the last uh, Bible book was written, that the, the gifts ceased then. These, these three gifts, uh, the, the, the healing, prophecy, and tongues ceased then. Okay, So there's no need for them to continue past that. That's Uh, a brief summary of the idea of cessationism okay now i believe as do the leaders of this church believe that there's much more biblical evidence for continuationism or uh being charismatic than there is cessationism if you just open the bible read it look through it we believe that there's much more evidence on that side for being a continuationist or charismatic than the other okay um but once you actually start talking about um, this, this, this conversation or this, this uh, you could call it an argument or disagreement on a dialogue on, this, on the, this spectrum, the different sides of the spectrum, I often hear people that are on more of the, the cessationist side um, not really talk about the scripture as much and go to um, really this idea of, of fear, right? This idea of, well, if, 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 if we start doing these things, what's it going to turn into, Like there's this fear of the slippery slope. If we go down this road, we're just going to end up like X, Y, and Z. And usually that's maybe a YouTube video that you've seen or some weird show on on Christian Broadcasting Network or something. And it's this fear of not wanting to turn into that, right? And I, I understand that, but we shouldn't base our theological beliefs on a fear of something that may happen as a result of believing something that the Bible teaches, Okay we could we could any gift in the church can be abused any gift in the church can be taken too far the gift of teaching right seems like the most like innocent gift in the church there's some Cult leaders have taken the gift of teaching and influence and have gone off the deep end. But that doesn't make us scared about the gift of teaching. Like, oh, gift of teaching, like we shouldn't talk about the gift of teaching. No. Like, we're open to that. So why isn't it the same with these other gifts? The other reason oftentimes I hear when I'm talking to people about this is someone just hasn't experienced it. You grew up in a church that that, that healing and tongues and prophecy weren't a part of it. So there's this unfamiliarity with it, kind of like my friend that I talked about in the illustration, and when you're not familiar with something and you hear it or maybe you, you hear some abuses of it, you just immediately want to write it off and say, I'm not familiar with it, this seems uncomfortable, and I'm just not going to deal with it, I'm not going to study it, I'm going to kind of pretend like it's not there. And once again, we can't base a theological um, idea or a belief around fear that it's going to turn into something or uh, unfamiliarity, right? We need to go to the scriptures and ask, what do the scriptures actually teach, okay? So that's one ditch, I would say, on both of these sides, on kind of maybe both of the the spectrum. That's one ditch of saying, hey, I don't think this is true or real, but maybe not with biblical evidence. But there's another ditch on the other side, and that's what actually Paul's going to address with the church in Corinth. They are in the ditch, but it's on the other side. Um, and by addressing them, going into this ditch theologically the, for the first Corinthians, he actually teaches what prophecy is. And he's going to teach a little bit about what tongues is and what tongues is not. So let's look at verse 1 again. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So he says go after them. Earnestly desire them. Strive for them. Especially that you may prophesy. Okay, so let's talk about this idea of prophecy what is this okay let's let's try to define what is this it's hard to give an accurate definition because the scripture doesn't really give us an accurate definition talks about it a lot in different places but the writers just don't come out and say this is what prophecy is new testament writers seem like they just assume that we kind of would know what it is because of the the environment that at least they found themselves in right but it's that's hard in our day Age. So here are a couple of definitions. This is from one commentator. These will be on the screen. Prophecy consists of spirit-prompted, so it originates with the spirit, spirit-prompted spontaneous, intelligible messages orally delivered to a person or community intended for edification. Okay, we're going to explain this here in a second. Another definition. This is by a guy by the name of Sam Storms. He's a really leading theologian in this area Pastors of church that we're close with up in North Oklahoma City, admin called Bridgeway. He's written a lot on this. We've learned a lot from him over the years. He says this. Prophecy is speaking forth in merely human words something the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and often spontaneously revealed to a believer. He kind of gets into what it's not here. Prophecy, therefore, is not based on a hunch, a supposition, an inference, an educated guess, or even sanctified wisdom. Prophecy is not based on personal insight, intuition, or illumination. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Now, Sam Storms will go on to say that there are really three pieces or phases of prophecy. I think this will help us here. So the first step in kind of hearing a prophetic word, or even possibly hearing a prophetic word, is the revelation part. Right? It's a spontaneous word from God the Holy Spirit. Right? That's the revelation from God to a, a follower of Jesus. Right? That's the first part. That's the revelation. Then you have the interpretation. Well, What does that mean? I don't understand. What is that? I, I, I'm, I, I, got, I see this picture or this name or this, this thing that just came to my mind. What is that? What does it mean? That's the interpretation. And then the third thing is the application. What does this actually mean for me? For a person that it may be connected with for the church okay so those are the three phases or steps you have to walk through when thinking about the gift of prophecy now we're going to get into more specifics at the at the end as as it relates to prophecy but a couple of caveats here on prophecy prophecy is not on par with the bible when it comes to authority it's a it's different okay the bible is the ultimate authority right uh Words of prophecy do have authority, but it is under Scripture. The Spirit never acts or speaks contrary to the Scripture. Okay, Those two things will always match up. You can always test words of prophecy with the Scriptures, always. Um, and and, and this, is, this is why the prophetic word should be handled with care, and with humility. And if you think you've heard something from the Lord, you should test it with the Bible you should think about it, you should pray about it before you share that with someone else. Okay? It should be handled with humility because we don't know as, as fallen, infallible human beings if we're actually hearing from God. And we'll get into the nuances here that here, uh, in that here in a second. Now, prophecy has been used throughout the years to manipulate To get people to do things, hey, thus saith the Lord, somehow that that gives you now the ability to manipulate people, that's dangerous, it's damaging, and that's evil. So again, humility when it comes to prophecy, and checking it with Scripture, making sure it lines up with Scripture, okay? And we'll talk more about specifics a little bit later. Tongues now. Verse 2, he talks about, gets into tongues. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay? Now, it's, it's, it's difficult that the only place really we can go for instruction on tongues in the scripture is a place where Paul is actually rebuking the church for not doing it the right way. So we're learning about tongues from being a church being told, here's how you don't do it. Okay? So it's a little bit challenging, but we're, we're going to try to dig into this and really try to figure out. Tongues definition be on the screen um it's a spirit inspired utterance or language a spirit inspired utterance or language now there's two kinds of tongues in the bible okay first kind is the kind you see in acts 2 at pentecost right it's when and it's oftentimes with gospel proclamation someone in their own language proclaims the gospel someone who don't knows doesn't know that language hears it in their own language and you can check it by the person actually uh, preaching the gospel says, no, I don't know that language. I don't know how you would hear me in that language. Well, that person hearing them, and so there's something spiritual, miraculous you could say, that happened in that exchange to make the gospel available and understandable for that other person. Okay, That's one kind of, of tongues as the Bible speaks to it. Now, when the Bible talks about um, tongues, it can also mean a, really a private prayer language for the purpose of intimacy with God. We see this in Romans 8, 26 and 27, and here in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. And if it shows up in a, in a, in a, uh, in a worship gathering, we're going to get into this next week, but Paul says there needs to be um, an interpreter, it needs to be done in order, and it should only happen a few times. We'll get into those things next week, but that is the gift of tongues. Okay, there's a lot less on the gift of tongues in the scriptures. A little bit harder to nail down what this actually looks like. But I think we'll see a little bit more of how that works itself out next week. So let's keep going. He, he's going to describe now, really the rest of this, this part of this chapter, of why prophecy is better than tongues in the worship gathering. So think of the kind of the comparison thing as we go through this between the two. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one who understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Once again, Paul's primary purpose here is to make sure that when things are spoken, People in the congregation are able to understand them. That's his primary point in this part of the chapter. Okay, so he's using these two gifts as examples in teaching that. Um, so he's saying "Your prophecy is greater than tongues in the context of a gathering of believers. Let's keep reading, verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some kind of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Some kind of tangible, understandable um, content is what he's saying. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? How is music played, he's saying, if you don't have different notes with these instruments? Verse 8, And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? It's like there are different um, bugle kind of sounds to get ready for different occasions. And so he's saying, how will someone know whether to get ready for battle or whether it's rest time or maybe it's, it's eating time? I didn't know all the, I, didn't know, I don't know the hymnal of bugle um, in, the old, in the Old Testament. But the bugle probably maybe it signified different things. So how do you know to fight and how do you know to rest, right? The bugle has to give different notes to be able to do that. There's your lesson in bugleology. Uh, verse 9. So with yourselves, if, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none of them is without meaning. But if I do not know what the meaning of a language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. We've all felt this, right? Um, like, like every time I get around um, these guys here that know about tech and audio and video, I, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, I come into the conversation, they're all talking about it, two minutes later, I just turn around and leave, because I feel dumb, and I don't want to feel dumb, right? So I just leave, like, I, I'm out of here, like, I'm going to go listen to something else that I'm smart enough to understand. Um, so, but those of you who've been to other countries, right, been at, the first time you get to another country that's the language is a lot different and you just don't know any of it, um, you're like, uh, you, feel, you feel left out, and there's this pressure, this urgency to learn the language so you don't feel like a foreigner. It's the same thing in the context of a worship gathering. Paul says, no one should feel like a foreigner when they come into the, the community of believers. So why are you speaking in, in languages that nobody can understand? Saying so in that context, don't do it. Um, unless there's an interpreter, which is kind of a rare situation we'll get to next week. Um, verse 12, let's keep going. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up of the church. Now, once again, Paul, he's not, he's not trying to get them to stop doing these things altogether. He's saying, hey, since you are eager, he doesn't check them on that. He doesn't say, hey, don't be as eager. He's saying, since you are eager for the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church, which is love, right? So, so focus, be about the things that are going to build the church up in the, in the gifts and not the things that are going to be focused on yourself as much. Verse 13, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Um, this is one of those hard ones. You read the commentators this, they're like, I don't really know what he's saying. <laughs> I mean, really, the smartest guys who study this. Uh, best people can understand is that um, there's something about tongues where God, through his, through his spirit, can, can kind of circumvent the mind to speak to the spirit. Okay, that's the best we can do. Like there's something unique about tongues that it, it, it doesn't affect the mind as much as other gifts. Okay? That's the best really, um, I think from the, if we're just a literal reading of that, that's the best I think we can do. Verse 15, what am I to do? Talking about himself. I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Again, he's going over this point again and again. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I think, listen to this, it's kind of funny. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So a little braggy there, Paul, right? You can get away with that because you're an apostle, right? You can do that. Um, but I think what he's trying to say there is he's trying to say that, hey, I, I've been, he's been probably kind of, I've been kind of hard on tongues in general in this environment. I've been coming down hard on tongues. But listen, like I, I, I pray in tongues a lot. He's just saying, I do it in a place that's more appropriate. The private prayer language. It's beneficial when I connect with God in private. That's where tongues is actually very beneficial. And he says, I do it more than all of you all. So again, he's saying I speak in tongues and that's Okay. But it's, he's he's kind of basically saying, I have the credibility to say these things to you because I speak in tongues, and that's okay. But here's, you're not, you're not doing it right. Do it faithfully according to the scriptures. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And Paul making the point again in hyperbole, right? It's like if 10,000 words that nobody understands is worthless, it's better to just use five words that they can understand. I would rather do that. Again, prophecy builds up. Tongues, people don't understand. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants and evil, but in your thinking be mature. That infants and evil is a weird thing. It's like, why did you have to put it that way, Paul? Basically saying, in the things that are evil or not biblical, be like infants. Like, don't go after those things. Don't understand those things. Major on the things that 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 are building up the body. Be mature in your thinking. In the last few verses of this section... Speak to um, unbelievers. So maybe it's some of you in the room today. You come in, not a follower of Jesus. Um, You want to be made feel welcome. You really want to understand what is going on. So look at verse 23 as he talks about this. If therefore the whole church comes together like we are now and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say to you that you're out of your minds? Yes, they, they would. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Basically, it's just saying that uh, the spirit can use prophecy in the life of an unbeliever, of someone who doesn't know Jesus yet. The prophecy can be used in that way, um, more so than tongues. So, I want to bring it back to our context now and the time I have left, Okay. Really answering two questions. So what? Okay, we've read all this. We've talked a little bit about tongues and prophecy um, with the time we have. So what? And then because of that, now what? What are we called to do with this? If you go back to that first verse, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We're called to strive or work or excel in these things because God uses them to allow us to love other people. Again, love is the governing factor. We want to love others. We want to make people feel encouraged. We want to build people up. If you're a follower of Jesus, like, that should be your heartbeat. So we should, Paul's saying, strive for the gifts because the gifts serve this idea of loving one another. Okay? We should be about the gifts because it allows us to love. Now, if I still haven't convinced you biblically on this. I just want you to think about the scripture, right? From the beginning of Genesis through the Old Testament, the Spirit, we see the Spirit working in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's a little more difficult to see Him, but He's there. He's working. Um, you see it in Psalms a lot. Then the, the, you see in the life of Jesus, the Spirit working all the time in the life of Jesus. Jesus go, is about to go to the cross. He talks about the Spirit being the one, to, the helper, the one who's going to empower you, the one who will bring to your mind all things, right? And then we see, the, and we see Acts. The book of Acts is filled, it's like a biography of the Holy Spirit. Maybe an autobiography, if, uh, the autobiography of the Holy Spirit, right? Of all the work he's doing in building the church. Then you have Paul and the writings of the New Testament, he, he's always bringing up spiritual gifts and he brings up the, the idea of prophecy and, and tongues in a lot of places as well. Then you go outside of the Bible, the first four or 500 years after the the Bible was finished being written, the canon being closed, theologians say, you have guys like Justin Martyr in 160 AD, Tertullian in 208 AD, Athanasius in 360 AD, Augustine in 426 AD, all these folks who are considered giants and fathers of the church, all speaking of the activity of the Holy Spirit in these ways. There's no, there really no hint that these guys thought the Spirit just kind of vanished and stopped doing miraculous things in those several, first several hundred years after um, the, the time of the apostles and the Bible being written. So there's something there. You look at Romans 12, 6. This will be on our screen. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. That pro- that's, that's at the beginning of that spiritual gift list from Paul. Prophecy is number one there on the top of that list. He's saying, use it in proportion to your faith. So there is kind of a a little bit of a a filter there in proportion to your faith prophecy, which again, we don't have time today, but um, that's kind of a a way to do this in a healthy way. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, Once again, he's comparing being drunk with wine to being filled with the Spirit. Now, here at Providence Well, we do not believe in a, a second baptism. We feel like you get all of the Holy Spirit your first time. You become a Christian, you have it all. You have the full Holy Spirit, right? So I'm going to be clear on that. But the Holy Spirit ebbs and flows, the activity of the Holy Spirit ebbs and flows in our lives. I think we would all experientially say it. It's like a temperature gauge. There's a filling, and that's what he's, a filling or, a, or an emptying in our lives. And this is what Ephesians 5, 18 speaks to. First Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. This is Paul again. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. This again is the checks and balances for prophecies. Test it. Test it according to the scriptures. Test it with the community. Test, test, test. But embrace it if it's good. Embrace if it's from God. Um, Now, we come from a stream of faith or you could say evangelicalism or whatever uh, that we uh, believe that the thing, that the gifts continue, we'd say, yes, we're charismatic, but we've used these phrases in the past that I've even used. I've tried to not use it anymore, like, uh, we're charismatic with the seatbelt on, or we're open to the gifts, but we're cautious. And I've stopped using those because I don't think that um, really communicates what we really believe about these things. Like, would we really would we say, you know, we're like, uh, we're gospel centered with a seatbelt on, right? Or, you know, we believe in the Word of God. But we're cautious about the word of God. Or um, we're about global missions, but we're going to have a seatbelt on in how we approach taking the gospel to the nations. Because we never know what kind of countries we're No. It's like, yes, there's ditches everywhere. Yes, there's, there's, there's holes we can step in. There's landmines with any of these things. But if you're, if you're centered on the scriptures, if you're gospel-centered, if you're trying to honor the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those things Keep a church in check that is pursuing the gifts. We don't have to, 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 to go tiptoe into this thing. We can earnestly desire the gifts, which is Paul is telling us to do. Now, if you're not a biblically sound church, if you don't have a gospel centered, then you start to lose some of the, the checks and balances, I think, once you start pursuing these things. But we major in, our, in Providence Road on the Bible and the gospel. And if you've been around any length of time, that's what we are about. So my desire is that we would be free to pursue the gifts in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a deeper way than we have been up to this point, including myself. And again, this is like gives another layer to us not being spectators in the church. Even on Sunday morning as you're sitting out there, if you think, okay, my involvement in a church gathering, you're, you're naturally going to first think through the, the roles, right? Well, worship leader, um, preacher, teacher of kids in the back. Um, and, and so you, it's like the roles that are in planning center, right? But what this does is it opens up your ability to participate in the gathering. Here's what I mean. How many times you, you, get, to, you get to bump shoulders, say hello to someone, or you get to, you're, you're, you're bathed in the spirit here. You're, you're saturated with the word of God. What if God brings to mind someone that's here in the gathering? Someone brings something to mind. You're like, maybe I need to go say something to this person. That person just popped into my head. I'm going to go encourage them. I'm going to go ask them how they're doing. This is a way we minister to one another, maybe using some of these other gifts in the context of a church gathering. It allows us more people to not be spectators and get involved in um, the, the community in the church. Now, let's talk about prophecy very specifically. Because I think most of us, if I'm just gauging the church right, and I think I am, um, most of us are probably newbies at this. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a relatively newbie at this. I, again, I've believed these things in the scriptures for a while, but I've been slow to kind of walk them out in practice, okay? So here's some steps. I wanna give you a a process here. Again, this is starting slow. This is dipping our toe in the water. First off, uh, we need to spend more time in silent reflection, quieting our hearts. This is for really anything, but especially if you're going to hear from the spirit, clearly you have to create space For the Spirit to actually speak to you. So in a quiet time, as you're spending time with Jesus. If you're not spending time with Jesus at all, it's going to be really hard. Can the Spirit still break in? Absolutely. But your chances drop significantly. So let's just say you are having a quiet time. You should spend some of your quiet time listening. A part of it. And listening prayer. Not not talking to God. It's important to talk to God in prayer. But oftentimes we just talk all the time. And don't just shut everything off and listen. And, and make note of the things that, are bringing, that he's bringing to mind. So number one, it's quieting our hearts, reflecting. Number two is asking God the Spirit to speak. Like you're talking to your father, right? You're talking to someone you're in relationship with. Speak to me. I want to understand you. I want to know more about you. I want to hear from you directly. Talk and, and listen. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see you. Number two. Number three is acting on it. And here's where I think we get a little bit nervous again of like, oh no, what if I didn't hear right? Or what if that was the Spirit? What if that was, the, that was me? Right. Think about this, though. If you hear a, a, a word from the Lord in your quiet time, and it is um, something for another person that could be encouraging. It could build them up. Like, worst case scenario, it wasn't from God, oh, and you get to encourage someone. Worst case scenario. Like, the risk is that it wasn't from God, and oh, just Jeremy's gonna get to encourage so-and-so this morning. Like, there's no risk there. Maybe it was from God, though, and you say something, and it just completely blows the person up because it's exactly what they needed to hear in that moment. And it completely, like unlocks them in some way or they're they're struggling or they're depressed or they need hope or they've been praying for something kind of in secret and the spirit uses you to to encourage them and empower them to keep going in that particular area let's i'm going to use a quick example here um hypothetical Um, um, I saw uh, Ben Shill, one of our elders, was sitting down here uh, in, in the front before he went back to kids. And so imagine Ben, um, I, I'm, I'm in my quiet time and I'm silent. I'm not thinking about Ben. Ben's not on my prayer list for that day, but I, I, I'm just thinking. But Ben's name comes into my head. Like not prompted, just spontaneous, he comes into my head. Instead of dismissing that, I need to lock onto that. Okay, God, well, what is it? What about Ben? What, what, and then Listen. And then oftentimes, this is where you get into that interpretation piece, okay? What, what, if, it's a, what if I just see this picture of, uh, of, of two guys working together on a construction project? That comes right after Ben's name. So then I start to think, hmm, like what, what am I going to do with this, right? God, tell me more. Is there anything else that you can give me? And maybe there's nothing else. Now, I know Ben well, and it's, 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 it's safer, it's, it's healthier if you know the other person when you're practicing this then you don't have to know them But I think at the beginning it's it's healthier to be in community with someone So I go to ben. Hey, man I don't know if this is the humility. I don't know if I was hearing from god. This was during my quiet time I, Your name came up and then I just saw Just two guys in my mind working on a construction site now I've told him the revelation remember those three steps that sam storms laid out. I've told him the revelation now I, I know Ben pretty well, so I can say, hey, what do you think that means? But I can also just walk away, because now it's the spirit inside of Ben's job to take what God has told me and to make sense of it. And he may not make sense of it. There's no risk being done. Ben's my brother. He's my really good friend. Ben's not going to think that's weird. But if I say, hey, Ben, here's the situation, um, and, he, and maybe he says, well, what do you think? It's like, well, what, it seems like two guys working together. What about, tell me about your coworkers, you got a coworker right now that, like, you've been thinking about or that maybe you've been, like, wanting to say something to, but you've been holding back? Like, do you think maybe there's some, maybe, So maybe maybe this week at work, think about your coworkers. I don't know. Um, because it's two guys working together on a construction site. Maybe that's the... So now I've given Ben some direction to actually think this week. Again, it's innocent, right? Hey, think more about your coworkers. Who, who all should be doing that? Like, all of us, right? And then, and then we'll see what the Spirit does from that. So I'm not going to say, hey, Ben... And here's I got this coworker, um, you know, one of them, these two coworkers, one uh, this, in this construction site. One of them had a shovel, so I think like you need to like dig into his, kind of dig into his life a little bit more because I saw this shovel and like there, you were he was scooping dirt, so it may have been his. Scent. No, 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 right? Like that's that's too far, right? Again, the spirit is going to help Ben if he wants to communicate to Ben through that. Okay. So that's an example of how this, again, there's no risk in that. There's no risk in it. Now, again, humility. Like, I don't need to be telling Ben, hey, you know what, Ben? Um, I get this sense that um, you should quit your job, and you should probably move to another state. I don't know what that means, but you, you're, you're welcome, right? No, 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 right? That's predictive. Like, you're not Isaiah. You're not Jeremiah, right? Like, we're not biblical prophets here. Be careful. Be careful. Again, the, the, the first goal is to build up and encourage the closer you are to someone the more bold you can be with kind of like processing with them what you're seeing if you don't know them super well you're saying hey uh you came to mind um i'm praying for you do you need anything do you need you need prayer today because you just came to my mind this morning as i was as i was in my quiet time that may be it for someone you don't know as well and then they may say you know what i'm having a horrible week thank you for asking well tell me more about that and they just, 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 just fall apart, telling you all the the junk they're going through. That would not have happened had you not taken the step and the boldness to say, "You came to my mind out of the blue. Tell me more about that. Is there any is there any reason why I would co- you would come to my mind out of the blue? How can I pray for you? Again, zero risk, zero weirdness. Especially in the context of community, um, we need to be practicing that more. Listen." We live in a culture that's constantly trying to um, take our formation in Jesus and deform us. It's trying to form us in different ways. It's, it's, it's telling us that we need certain things we don't need. We got ads on our, in social media, ads on our TV. The whole point of advertisement is saying, you're missing something. You're lacking something. You need something. Right? We have whisper, uh, whispers in our head. Some of that's the enemy. Some of that's Satan saying, you're not good enough. You don't look a certain way. You don't, you, you don't have it all together. You're just not going to be good enough to succeed there. You're lacking in this area. Constant, all day long, we're being barrauded with those messages. We need power. We need the Spirit's power to combat that, to help us in those areas. The same, that, that we, we don't need that stuff for freedom and joy. We have everything we need for freedom and joy. That stuff is powerful, though. We need something as powerful. And don't get me wrong. The Bible is sufficient. We're Bible people. The Bible is sufficient to meet any of those things that the world's pushing against us. The gospel is the power for our salvation, Romans tells us. We have those things. But we're often the recipients of the scriptures and the gospel, and we're sinful, distracted people who don't often get the truth. So sometimes the Spirit, God wants to use the Spirit from other people to cause truth to work its way deeper into our hearts and our souls. That's the purpose of teaching. It's so what I'm doing now, right? The gift of teaching is to take truth and hopefully it, it, it transforms you at a deeper level. Same thing with the gift of prophecy, right? Taking the gift that someone else has, using that person to cause the truth to work itself deeper down so you can be... be have, have freedom and joy, or, or you, can be, you can change this area of your life or grow in this area of your faith. We need the Spirit's power to love one another well. Now, if you're, again, once again, I want to come back to if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I would say that the things you're listening to um, in the world, like we all are, they're powerful. They're powerful. The, the things that shape us around us all the time, they're powerful. And I would ask, where do you look to for your power? Where do you look to for the, the the internal strength to be able to push against the things that the culture's pressing on you? And I would say this is a great example of we have the power within us as followers of Jesus. That's a benefit from being a follower of Jesus. We have the Spirit living inside of us, who's our helper, who's our guide, who brings truth to, 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 to helps us remember truth in situations when we need it. We have a special power that's given to us by the Spirit. Why wouldn't you want that, is my question for you. So, to kind of wrap up, how can we love one another well? Ultimately, how do we love one another? How can we speak words of encouragement over one another? How can we come into this place having people on our mind and say, I'm going to single out this person, ask how they're doing. Or Maybe they came to mind this week in a, in a quiet time or when you were quiet. And you can ask God, what do you want me to communicate to them? Again, what is the risk? We need to earnestly seek and desire these things. We need to practice them, just like anything else. We, we, we practice reading scripture, right? We, we, don't, we don't all come and understand everything about scripture. We practice that. Prayer, we don't know how to pray necessarily when we first become followers of Jesus. We have to practice that. Same thing to get the prophecy. We have to practice that. And the first step is, remember, listening and quiet, asking God to speak to you and for you to hear, and then asking, what am I supposed to do with what you've given me? And do that with humility, with the Bible as our guide. And I want to close with this quote from A.W. Tozer. This, this quote has, has haunted me, but it's also caused me to want to earnestly desire the gifts. I, I read this about four or five weeks ago when we started this part of 1 Corinthians. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. It's haunting the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. We believe that this is all for naught if God's not with us in his spirit. He empowers everything we do. All the baptisms we saw last week, all the stories we heard last week in baptism, it was all his grace, his goodness through the spirit for his glory. So what do we need to do? We need to pursue him and pursue his gifts so we can actually see more of those stories take place moving forward in our church. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. Um, I, I, even tough topics that we have to get in the weeds and explain and dig into. Um, we've, we, we're, we trust that your word is sufficient. That You've given us everything we need to understand you and your gifts. Even though sometimes it's hard. And sometimes we don't have all the answers and things aren't tied together in as much of a bow as we would like, but we know we have everything we need, and we trust you. As far as of Jesus, you're our daddy, and you provide for us everything we need to flourish, everything we need um, to, to, to grow and to thrive, and help us. Help us be the kind of people that listen well, that hear the Spirit, that are bold enough to take action on the things that you may be telling us so that we can continue to build one another up. Because in this world, we need it. We need encouragement. We need one another to build um, us up. So help us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.